It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, Ephesians, just kidding, <laughs> uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 14, and I know Mike Coleman now is disheartened. Uh, uh, I just thought, <clears throat> since we've been walking through the, the, this, these last five weeks, we've been walking, or these last 14 weeks, walking through a series on the names of God, um, I thought since Eric asked me to preach, I would give a bonus uh, name of God uh, study. And part of that is just because as I was coming to the conclusion of all this, I realized there were dozens of great names that we just did not have time for. And so I just figured instead of jumping back into Ephesians, which I, I almost did, Sorry, Mike. Uh, <clears throat> but instead of doing that this week, I figured since y'all are still around, uh, why don't we just hop into uh, another name of God? So uh, this morning, we're actually going to look at Yahweh Tikva, which means the Lord our hope. And uh, <clears throat> just as I was getting into this, uh, I was personally just richly blessed. Uh, and I have no idea why I didn't mention this one earlier. Uh, in other words, it's probably true about all the names. If I did any of the other names, I'd be like, what? Why didn't I put this one in the list? And <clears throat> for those of you who may not have been listening through the whole series, there's something really powerful about the names of God. And one of the aspects of that is the fact that a name of God is not just a name. It's not just a moniker or a title. It's a revelation of the person, the nature, the character of who our God is. So when God reveals one of his names, he's saying, this is who I am in the very depth of my being. And we have 28 other studies if you want to go into uh, all the previous stuff. I encourage you to do that. Uh, so this morning, I, I want to look at this idea of Yahweh Tikva, this idea of the Lord our hope. Uh, I don't know what you think of when you see the word hope. Uh, a lot of us, I think, default to the idea of like Christmas morning, right? Like, you know, as you're growing up, it's like, oh, I, I really hope I get that whistle, right? If you were from like the 50s and 60s, right? <clears throat> was not what it was. There was some whistle that was like really popular back then. Eric would have to tell us about it. Uh, and then, you know, like the, the, the typical statement is, oh, I, I really hope I get the pony, you know, right, for Christmas. Or I really hope I get the BB gun. Or I really hope I get, you know, a, a new brother. Or I really hope I get, you know, I get something. Uh, when we talk about hope biblically, we're not talking about Christmas morning hope. See, the Christmas morning thing is, is, a, is, it a, is, is a desire that we may or may not have something. That there's this, oh, I really hope I can have this in the future thing. That's actually not biblical hope. Uh, biblical hope is based on a foundation of truth. And therefore, it produces hope. There, it produces a confidence. And I really want to walk through this because this just became really beautiful to me. Uh, as you look at this idea of hope in the Old Testament, it shows up nearly 100 times in its various forms, and it shows up a little over 80 times in the New Testament in the different ways it's used in the Greek. And what I think is really even fascinating is that if you go to Israel, do you know that the national anthem for Israel is called Hatikva, meaning the hope? <clears throat> that, that, that's the national anthem for Israel. And I actually think that is an incredible realization because here is a nation who is surrounded by enemies. And yet, despite the circumstances, despite the fact that everyone hates them, despite the fact that they're in the middle of this hostile area, their anthem is, we have hope. And I think that's a great picture of the people of God. 
that it re- it's regardless of the circumstance or the situation around us, that you realize that we do have hope because we have the one who is hope itself. Uh, one of the writers on names of God, Larry Richards, says this about the words translated hope in the Old Testament. He says, two of the Hebrew words translated hope, mikvah and tikvah, imply looking ahead eagerly and confidently. To hope in God is to yearn for his involvement and also to expect it. Each word, however, also implies patience. For what we hope, uh, sorry, for what we hope for, for lies in the future. A third word, yael, is dominant in the Psalms and the prophets. This word reminds us that while while we wait for God to act, we are to concentrate on living godly lives now. God will act, for he is our deliverer. Our part is to wait and to courageously face each new day. Uh, when you look at the main word for hope, it's tikva, And here's how we can understand it. I really love these definitions. It's something expected, yearned for, or anticipated. It is a joyful and confident expectation. It's a firm assurance about the future. It is a patient and hopeful waiting, or it's a, this idea of to look forward with hope. And what's really fascinating to me is that the root word of tikva is this word that actually means rope or a cord. And so tikva is you take a cord or a rope and you, you hold it in tension. And when that rope is held in tension, that's tikva. In other words, it's tinsel strength. It's that kind of an idea. Does it make sense if, if you've heard that term? It's this idea of this tension, uh, the pressure, it's the expectancy of a rope being held. So it's, it's not tinsel strength, that's patience. But the patience is involved in the pressure. Does that make any sense? And so there you have this cord, the kava, and then you have the tikva, which is the pressure of that cord held in tension before it snaps. And do you realize that we are called to have tikva? That there is this tension of waiting. Uh, there's this tension of expectancy. That, that your life is held in this pressure chamber and there's a, there's a longing or a waiting. Uh, the first time this word shows up, it's really interesting, it actually deals with this idea of rope. And it's in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. And as you know, the scene that the spies have gone in and, and Rahab takes, her into, takes them into the house and she says, hey, I've, I've seen what your God is doing. I want in on this. And they said, okay, here is a cord. Here's a tikva. It's scarlet. And you need to hold that or hang that in your window. And when we come, if the tikva is there then you will find salvation. So, so I'll just read it. Joshua chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, verse 21. And the men said to Rahab, We shall be free from this oath to you, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you tie this tikva, this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house, your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. And Rahab said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they went and she tied the scarlet tikva or the cord in the window. Isn't that a great thought? That there is this hope in the window, a scarlet hope of longing and an expectation and confidence that she will be saved. Uh, this word, uh, this idea of hope shows up over 20 times in the book of Job. 
which I find really fascinating because as you look at the life of Job in the midst of the crazy circumstance, in the, in the midst of uncertainty, and in the midst of sadness and chaos, do you realize there is great hope? In fact, as you work through the Old Testament, you begin to realize that there was this hope or a longing for something coming in the future. And let me just give you a few verses. By the way, there's a ton of scripture uh, in this. Uh, so if you want the notes, I'll just give them to you later. Uh, so just, just sit back and enjoy it, okay? Uh, oh, let me say this first. When we talk about hope, one of the things that I thought was interesting is it sounded a lot like faith. This confident expectation of something that's to come. And just wrestling with this idea of what is the difference between faith and hope? Let me give you a statement. One author said it this way. Faith is in the present tense, I believe now, while hope is the expectation concerning the future, that which lies ahead. It's unswerving confidence that God will do what he said he will do at some future time. And there's that statement in Hebrews 11.1 1 that I think is beautifully combining both of these ideas. The writer of Hebrews says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, isn't it interesting that faith, if you want to think of it this way, Faith is the present reality holding on to a confidence and assurance that God is doing what he said he will do. And my faith is in the hope of that promise. Does that make any sense? Uh, in other words, faith is living now as if the future hope is guaranteed. That, that God has given us promises and it is to come. It's in the future. So therefore I have hope. But then how do I live? I live by faith as if that is true right now. And wouldn't it be amazing if you and I could actually look at the promises of Scripture and even if we have them fully seen them realized, that we know they are coming. So we have hope. But then what do I do? I don't grow passive in the now. I don't go, well, yeah, God will eventually do it in the future, so I'm just going to relax and, and pull back. Rather, there is a walking by faith now <clears throat> as if that is true. I walk by faith in the midst of my future hope. Okay, let me just give you a few passages. <clears throat> Again, in the Old Testament, there was this looking forward to a future hope, that there's this something coming. Again, speaking about the, the reality of Christ. Isaiah 26 verse 8 says this, Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Yahweh, we have hoped for you eagerly, your name, the memory of you, is the desire of our souls. Or Isaiah 33, 2, O Yahweh, be gracious to us, we have hoped in you, be their strength every morning, our salvation also in the time of distress. Do you realize they have not yet experienced the reality of what they're hoping for, and yet there is a hope of longing, oh, there's something coming. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, Yet those who hope in Yahweh will gain new power. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Or Jeremiah 29, 11, And you know this verse really well, but listen to this in light, light of hope. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares Yahweh, plans for peace and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. You realize they're about to be taken off into captivity. Many of them are going to die on the way. This, this, is, this is a bleak situation. And yet God says, yeah, but have confidence. There is hope. Jeremiah 31, 17. 
and there is hope for your future, declares Yahweh. Or, or look at Lamentations, and you know this verse really well as well, <clears throat> but Lamentations 3, verse 21 through 23, says, this I will return to my heart, or this I will remember. Therefore, I will wait in hope. The loving kindness or hesed of Yahweh indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why is it that these Old Testament prophets are looking forward to the future saying there is great hope even though everything around us says otherwise. Do you realize that the same truth is our reality? Is that regardless of circumstances, God is our hope. Which there's a nugget in this that I really want you to grab a hold of and it's, and it's this idea that when we're talking about hope biblically, we're not talking about optimism. We're not saying, you know, you go to the mirror and you say those like mantras, you know, like, I, yeah, I'm good, I'm well, I'm successful, I'm happy, you know, uh, that we're, we're not talking about optimism. Do you realize optimism is based on circumstance stuff? I, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that things are going to change. I'm optimistic that the culture is going to get better. I'm optimistic that Eric's going to give me $50, right? I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic, but that's not biblical hope. Hope, biblically, and I love this idea, is based on a person and based on that person's character. So it's not based on circumstance. It's not based on situation. It's not based on what may be swirling on around us, that my hope lies in a person and his character. Uh, it's rather perhaps convicting. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And I mean, these are the guys who have memorized the word. These are the guys who, who, who know this thing backwards and forwards. And he's condemning them because they have placed their hope in the wrong place. And look, look at what Jesus says in John 5. He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, speaking to the Pharisees. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. It's interesting, as you're looking at the context, what you begin to discover is that they are holding so tight to Moses, who is a person, it's just the wrong person. That Jesus shows up and goes, uh, do you realize that Moses was pointing to me? That the hope that you are to have is actually supposed to be in the reality of me and who I am in my coming. And yet your hope and your confidence is placed in something else. It's, it's something old, something that's passing away. It's so, hey, you're going to be condemned by Moses, whom you have your hope, when the, when the fullness of hope is standing in front of you. Do you realize that hope is to be a person in your life? But it's not you. It's not the people around you. The hope of your life is to be God himself, which is where we get this name. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 14, look at what Jeremiah says. Uh, Jeremiah 14, verse 7 through 8. Although our iniquities answer against us, O Yahweh, act for your name's sake. Truly, our acts of faithfulness have been many. We have sinned against you, O hope of Israel, its Savior in times of distress. Do you hear what Jeremiah is saying? Uh, throughout the book of Jeremiah, there's this, the prophecy that Babylon's going to come and literally devastate the land of Israel. And the northern kingdom's already been removed, and now here's the southern kingdom, Judah, and they're about to be taken off into captivity as well. And Jeremiah says, 
do you not realize we have sinned? We have, we have rebelled. We have shook our fist in God's face. There is destruction coming. But in the middle of all that, there is hope. Well, what is the hope? The hope is God himself. And I love the fact that one of God's names is the hope of Israel. As it's repeated again in Jeremiah 17, verse 3. Oh, Yahweh, the hope of Israel. And what we begin to recognize is that God himself is our hope. And let me just give you a bunch of passages. So just sit back and enjoy these. Uh, the Psalms are full of this idea. Uh, for example, Psalm 25, verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. In you, I hope all the day. Psalm 25, verse 21, let integrity and uprightness guard me, for I hope in you. Psalm 27, verse 14, hope in Yahweh, be strong and let your heart take courage. Hope in Yahweh. Uh, Psalm 40, verse 1, I hoped earnestly for Yahweh, and he inclined to me and he heard my cry for help. Psalm 52, verse 9, I will, th I will give thanks to you forever. Because you have done it, and I will hope on your name, for it is good in the presence of your holy ones. And again, his name is not just a title. It's not just a moniker. It's him, his person, his character, his nature. And the psalmist says, oh, I'm putting my hope in you, in your character, in your life, in your presence. Psalm 62, verse 5 and 6. Surely wait in silence for God, O my soul, for my hope is from him. Surely he is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 71, verse 5. For you are my hope, O Lord Yahweh. You are my trust from my youth. Psalm 130, verse 5 through 7. I hope for Yahweh. My soul does hope. And for his word do I wait. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman of the morning, the watchman for the morning. Oh, Yah uh, oh, oh, Israel, wait for Yahweh. For with Yahweh there is hesed, and with him is abundant redemption. Or Psalm 146, verse 5. How blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob. My hope is in Yahweh his God. Lamentations 3.25. Yahweh is good to those who hope in him to the soul who seeks him. Or look at what Hosea says. Therefore, return to your God who keeps loving kindness and justice and hope in your God continually. Are you getting this? That hope wasn't found in some abstract thing. It wasn't based on circumstance. It wasn't based on a future reality. It was based on the reality of the present tense God whom we love and whom we serve. Now, as you come into the New Testament, then, this heightens, this whole idea that God is our hope heightens to a whole nother level. For example, uh, in Acts chapter 26, Paul is before King Agrippa. And look at how Paul defends what, what's been going on or describes what is happening. He says in Acts 26, verse 6 and 7, Paul says, And now I am standing here being tried. Well, what is he being tried for? For the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by Jews. Paul says, do you actually know why, why I'm standing before you, O king Agrippa? It's because of the hope. 
Or, or look at what Paul says to the Jewish leaders of Rome uh, as, after he's taken there in chains. And, and Acts 28, verse 20, Paul says, For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain. Well, why is he in the chains? He says, For the sake of the hope of Israel. Isn't it interesting as you, as you read through Paul's writings that so oftentimes he says that he's, he's doing things or he's preaching or he's in chains for the sake of Christ. And yet here he flips it. And he says, you know why I'm doing what I'm doing? It's for the sake of the hope of Israel. And he's quoting back the Jeremiah 14 and verse, uh, chapter 14, chapter 17 stuff. He says that, that Yahweh that we've been put our hope in, that, that, that God in whom we trust, that, that, that God in whom we put our confidence in, do you know who that is? It's Jesus. That he is the one, and for his sake, I am in chains. And yes, I preach for the sake of Christ. Yes, I am in chains for the sake of the Messiah. And I love how he just uses the Jeremiah language to say, Jews, oh dear religious leaders, you who have put your hope and your trust in the hope of Israel, I found him. His name is Jesus. And it's for his sake I'm in chains. Isn't that beautiful? I love that little tie-in. <clears throat> Do you realize that Jesus is our hope? He doesn't give us hope. He is our hope. That he is the hope itself. Uh, for example, when you look at this idea, Paul says in Romans 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope, and in the context he's talking about Jesus, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that the one who is hope is going to cause you to abound in hope? Or, or look at what he says to Timothy at the very beginning of his letter, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. That he is our hope, folks. Or later on in the letter, in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says to Timothy, For it is this that we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. He is our hope. And do you realize you are to fix your hope on him? Or look at what he says at the end of the letter in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or prideful or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but rather they are to set their hope on God who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. He says, hey, don't put your hope in all these random things. Hey, don't put your hope in the money. Don't put your hope in the times. Put your hope in the living God. Uh, in 1 Peter, P Peter says this. I love this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not just any kind of hope, a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is our hope? What is the living hope? It's actually the living Savior. And that living hope comes through the resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ from the dead. Or, or look at what Peter says a few verses later in verse 21. He says, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Do you realize that you have a great hope? Because you have a great Savior. 
In fact, Paul is so strong on this that when you do turn to the book of Ephesians, Paul says, if you don't have Jesus, you have no hope. Look at this in Ephesians 2.12. He says, remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Do you know why our world has no hope? Because they don't have Jesus. Which is why we are told in, by Peter that you are to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. Why? Because when the onlooking world who has no hope looks at your life, who has hope, they're going to be saying, I need that. And you're to always have a ready defense for the proclamation and the declaration of the hope, the one who is hope, who lives within you. So here's, here's a question then. How do we keep our gaze fixed on hope? How do we walk in the reality of the hope that we have as believers? If Jesus is in fact our hope, how do we live in that reality of him being our hope? And I just want to give you a thought, and it's this, that it's by looking backward, sorry, we look forward by looking backwards. Do you realize that our hope is in that which is coming? It's a future thing. And yet the confidence of our hope in the future is actually because of the confidence of what we've seen in the past. So as you look forward in hope, the reason you can have a future hope and a confidence of what is to come is because of what you've seen in the past. Uh, several months ago, I was reading through a book uh, by uh, Chad Beard, who's a Hebrew scholar, and he was talking about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And he made this side comment. And I tracked it down because I was like, oh, that's a great way of saying this. So here, here's what he says in a portion of his book. He says, orient or orientation are derived from the Latin word, which means sunrise or east. So quite literally, to orient oneself is to face east toward the rising of the sun. For the Israelites, it was much the same. Their, their Hebrew word for east, kadim, also means in front. Thus, to orient yourself, Hebrew style, you face Kadim, frontward or eastward. But here is where things get highly instructive. Kadim not only means east and in front, but also past or olden days. And this makes perfect sense when you reflect on it a bit. The past is what we've already experienced, already seen, right? So the past is not behind us, but is what is in front of us. It is not hidden but it is kadim, it's before our eyes. So what about the future? The Hebrews had this one figured out too. Their words for future also mean behind or at the back. Just like we can't see what's behind us, so we can't see the future. It is hidden from us at our backs. Therefore, in the Hebrew way of thinking, we walk backward into the future with our eyes on what has been in order to know what will be. The past is our eye to the future. And that a neat way of saying it? That, that I am walking backwards into, into my future. And what I actually get to see is my past. Well, how does that help us with hope? Here's the thought. Do you realize that we have a joyful and confident expectation in our future hope because we see God's past faithfulness? The, the reason I can stand confident as I 
walk backwards into the future is because I know and I can see what God has done in the past. And because of his faithfulness in the past, I know that God cannot change. Therefore, because he was faithful in the past, he is faithful now and he will continue to be faithful into the future. And so I can look forward with a future hope because I'm staring back at what he's done in the past. Isn't that beautiful? I really like that idea. And I can walk backwards into my future with a great confidence knowing that he's leading where he wants, me, wants to take me. And I can trust him in, in a confident, joyful, patient hope because I've seen what he's already done. Uh, this concept shows up all over scripture. And I just want to give you a couple key ideas. But in Hosea 2.15, listen to what Hosea says about their future based on their past. He says, then I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor. Well, why, why is all this giving stuff happening? It's as a door of hope. So God is about to do something and it's going to be a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And Hosea says, can I just encourage you, O Israel? God has been faithful in the past. He led us out of Egypt. He, he led us into the promised land. And because we know his faithfulness then, we have a door of hope for what he's about to do in the future. Or look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 8, 17. He says, I will wait for Yahweh who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope for him. And strangely, even though he seems like he's hiding his face, and even though strangely, it doesn't seem like he's doing much, and even though strangely, I'm unsure of what he's doing, I can wait for him and I can have hope. Why? Because I know what he's done. And can I encourage us in the days in which we live? I think a lot of us can bemoan the fact of like, well, God, God isn't doing anything. I, I can't see what God's doing. And there, there seems, it seems so bleak in the days in which we live. And it may seem like God is hiding his face. But folks, God is faithful. And we have a great hope for the future. Why? It is confident and it is sure. In fact, look at this. I love this proverb. Proverbs 23 verse, 7, uh, 23 verse 18 says this. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. And there's a great play on words in this. Because you remember the idea of hope, tikvah, is based on the root word, which means a cord held in tension. And the writer of Proverbs is saying, Solomon says, do you recognize that your hope, which is held in tension, it will not be cut? That that cord will not be snipped? That, that yes, you're going to be in the tension, and yes, there's a hopeful expectancy, but just keep on enduring. Why? It's not going to be cut. You know it's going to come to pass. Isn't that a great idea? Are you guys awake? Good morning. This is good stuff. Tell your faces. There's hope. Yes. Okay. Uh, look what Paul says in Romans 15, verse 4. He says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So as you go to the Old Testament, here's all this stuff written for our instruction. Why? It's so that through the, pres uh, the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you realize that as you come into the Old Testament specifically, but the entirety of the word, that you begin to recognize that what was written in the past is actually an encouragement to us. Why? Because it shows what God has done. And because we know God is faithful and because we know he always comes through and because we know that he cannot lie and because we know that he is sure, then so is our future. And all that was written, we can have great encouragement. Why? 
because it points to our future hope. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 6. He says, in the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of that rope, of that hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and confirmed. Well, why is our hope sure and confirmed? Why why is this so confident? Because God has promised and he cannot lie. And because of his nature, because of, of what he is doing, do you realize that cord of which we hold in tension will never be cut? It is guaranteed. So grab a hold of the rope. It is an anchor for your soul. Do you realize that it actually does not matter what culture, culture does? It actually doesn't matter who's president. Now, I have a preference of who's president and who's not president. And I have a preference of what culture does and what the culture doesn't do. But do you realize that I can, regardless of what is swirling around me, regardless of circumstance, I can have great hope because God has promised. And it's not based on circumstance. It doesn't matter whether or not I've seen it in reality. It will come to pass because our God is a promising God and he cannot lie. He is faithful. He will never deny himself and therefore have strong encouragement. You have an anchor for your soul. His name is Jesus. What would it look like if you were unshakable in hope? Not in something, but in someone. What if you weren't pushed around in the days in which we live? What, what if the news broadcast didn't disturb the reality of the peace in your life? What, what if, as we head into the next election cycle, right, this next year? What if you actually walked in peace and it actually didn't matter who became president? I will trust my God. Please vote. But you can trust your God. It actually doesn't matter what the economy does. It doesn't matter when I look at the sad state of the modern church and it looks like everything's going downhill, that we're actually more intrigued by sin and living like the world than we are like Christ. See, I don't have to be disheartened by those things. Yes, I should pray for those things. But do you realize in the midst of the circumstance, in the midst of the swirling waters, in the midst of the uncertainties, in the midst of things not going the way we plan, in the midst of... Do you realize you can have hope? So what would it look like to have hope in the midst of your finances? Uh, What would it look like to have hope in the midst of you returning home? What would it look like to have hope in the midst of your family situations? What would it look like to have hope in the midst of your health crises? What what would it look like to have hope in, in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing? Do you realize that it's, I'm not hoping for something. I have hope because I have someone. And the biblical concept of hope is based on a person. So what if I was unshakable in my hope? What if it wasn't based on anything swirling around me? What if it was based on him and his character? The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
Do you realize that you can be confident in your hope without wavering? Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Or look at what Paul says in Romans. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast, think about this, what do we boast in? In hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions. Excuse me? We're going to boast in our trials and our difficulties? Paul says, yes. Because we know that affliction brings about perseverance. It's the patience word, which means tensile strength, right? Hupomone. And perseverance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. It is not put to shame. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you realize that it is the trials and the difficulties and the circumstances of life which actually give you greater hope? Why? Because it forces a greater grip on the rope. The one named Jesus. That in the midst of the struggles and the strivings and the, and the trials of life, do, do you realize that when things are not going as we thought, it actually, if, if you allow God to use it, you can actually boast in those difficulties and trials because it's going to produce patience, endurance, this long-suffering, perseverance idea. That in the midst of the tensile strength, that you're going to have character. You're actually going to become more and more like him. You're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And as you do that, guess what? That brings great hope. A hope that never disappoints. So if you're facing trials or circumstances or difficulties or health crisis or family stuff, or you haven't moved into the lake house yet or whatever it's been for months on end, right? Or as a student, you're heading back home and there's uncertainty and you're not sure what's going on and and you might want to move into the lake house. You you realize in the midst of, you don't get to though, sorry. In the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, do you realize you can still have great hope? In fact, the more chaotic and the more difficult things become, the more hope you can actually have. And the greater grip you can have on the one who is our hope. Again, biblical hope, do you realize that it's something expected, yearned for, and anticipated? It is a joyful and confident expectation. It is a firm assurance about the future. It is a patient and hopeful waiting. It's to look forward with hope in Jesus. That you don't have to be pushed around. That you can joyfully be patient. You can have a great confidence in the waiting, knowing it will come to pass. Why? Because the one who promised cannot lie. There's an interesting concept in scripture I just want to kind of end with. And it's this idea of the now and not yet. The theological concept of the now and the not yet is that there's something we get experienced now and yet it hasn't come into full fruition. For example, I am saved. I have that right now. And yet, do you realize that there is a future salvation promised? That the, the finality of, of, of salvation and the fullness of the cleansing and, and sanctification in life is still coming. That I have salvation, it's a now and a not yet reality. 
Uh, I am redeemed right now. Praise the Lord. And yet, as Paul says in Romans 8, listen to this. There is a redemption that is to come. And he says in Romans 8, verse 18 through 24, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Listen to this. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we are saved. But hope that is not seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. In other words, do you realize that I have a confident hope in my salvation and my redemption right now? I have, I have a joyful reality of this. And yet, there's something coming. And it says all creation, even we, groan for the fullness of our redemption. Well, I thought you were already redeemed. I am. But there's a redemption coming. Because folks, I want a new body. You can keep the one you have, but I, I'm, I'm getting a new one. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and there's going to there's be a redemption of all things. Well, I, I thought redemption's already here. It, it is. But it is a now and not yet reality. Does that make sense? And so as you begin to walk through Scripture, I have eternal life. That's true right now. And yet, do you realize that eternal life actually is still a not yet thing? It's to come. That I have salvation, and yet it's, it's a not yet thing. There is a redemption right now, and yet there's a not yet thing. Do you know how awesome that is for Christians? See, in the Old Testament, it was just a not yet thing. And they were looking forward with hope, knowing that at some point it's going to be a now. We, in the new covenant, get to experience the now and the not yet, that we get a taste of it. And do you know how good salvation is right now? I mean, do you know how good redemption is <clears throat> right now? I mean, if it is this good right now, could you imagine what the not yet is going to be? When, when this is a down payment of the Holy Spirit, we now have the Holy Spirit, but it's a down payment. Well, if a down payment is 10 20%, do you realize what you get in the fullness of the, etern the eternity stuff? That's a whole nother level. Paul says stuff like, we gnosko in part, we know in part, but then we will, woo, epi gnosko. This thing's going to be all on a whole nother level, folks. And there is a knowing now, but this whole thing's going to be elevated to a whole nother level here. Does that make any sense to you? So do you know how phenomenal that is as a Christian to realize that we are not an old covenant that just had a hope for the future, that we do have a hope for the future, but we get to taste the reality of it right now. And we live in the midst of this yet now and not yet thing. Uh, look at some of the things that you get to hope for, that you get to yearn for. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 5.5, 5, for we through the spirit by faith are eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. Uh, but Paul, I am righteous in Christ. 
He goes, I know. But you're just getting a taste of the reality that is to come. So put your hope in the fact that there's a fullness of righteousness on the way. And as good as righteousness is this side of eternity, do you realize how much better it's going to be on that side of eternity? Please contain your excitement and stay seated. But that's incredible, isn't it? Or, or look at what Colossians says in chapter 1, verse 5, 23, and 27. Paul says, speaking of hope, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of the truth, the gospel, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, I mean, I get to experience that, but whoa, folks, there's more to come. So could I put my earnest expectation, my joyful, patient waiting in the fact that there's a lot more to come? And it's not a Christmas wish of like, oh, I really hope I get more. What if you live with a, con uh, a confident expectation, a knowing, a reality with this declaration of soul saying, I know it's coming. And so I'm actually going to live now as if that is true. And you walk by faith here in the confidence of your future hope there. Or look at 1 Thessalonians. Paul says in the first couple of verses, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before our God and Father. Paul says, you know what I remember about you? You were steadfast in your hope. Wouldn't it be neat if someone could say that about your life? Hey, when I remembered so-and-so, do you know where I remember them? I, I remembered that they were full of faith and a labor of love and a steadfastness of hope. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16-17. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us, think about this, and has given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. Do you know why you can actually be encouraged in your heart and strengthened for every good work? It's because... He has given you, by his grace, eternal comfort and good hope. There is something you can cling to. Uh, in Titus 1, 2, in the hope of eternal life, which the God who cannot lie promised for all eternity. Or Titus 2, 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know one of the things that we're supposed to hope for and long for and have a confident expectation is the return of Christ? I mean, did you wake up this morning and cry forth Maranatha? Because if not, you have not joined the church and the spirit who for 2,000 years have cried Maranatha. Well, I don't know if he's actually going to return. Well, then you don't know what your hope is. Because we can have a strong, bold hope that our God is returning. Now, we may not know when, but I know he's returning. So there should be this patient, joyful, confident hope my God is returning. I'll be able to slap him on the back. We're going to get tea and coffee. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Don't you want to be there? So have hope. 
Titus 3.7. So that having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Well, I thought we already have eternal life. We do. But our hope is in the fact that we will have eternal life as well. Or Hebrews 3.6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope. Or look at what Hebrews 6.11 says. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Do you realize that you could have a full assurance of hope until the end? That you do not have to be pushed around. That you can stand with great confidence because you know what's coming. He has promised and he cannot lie. Or look at 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, having girded your minds for action, be sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So can I ask you, where is your hope? And when you look at the culture today, it's not hope, but we put our optimism, we put our expectancy in our careers, in our money, in our education, in our family, in our experience, in our something. But do you realize that biblically, you can have strong, confident hope in the days in which we live? regardless of what is swirling around us, regardless of what is happening, because we have the one who is our hope. His name is Yahweh Tikva, the Lord our hope. And he wasn't just the hope of Israel. He was. But the hope of Israel took on flesh, and now he's the hope of the entire world. And Jesus is our hope. Wouldn't it be amazing to walk into every situation of life with a great confidence, with a great hope, with a great surety, not hoping something will happen, but knowing the one who is going to bring about all things. I'm pretty confident if we live this way, do you know what we'd have to call those people? I think we'd probably have to call ourselves Christians, wouldn't we? Because we're the ones who have hope. And as Peter said, would you always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you? Because when the world looks at your life, they are to see the hope that lies within you, which is not your talent. It's not your wisdom. It's not your ability. It's not your resource. It's not your education. It's not your family. It's not your whatever. Your hope is in the Lord. So let me just end with three verses. Where is your hope placed? The psalmist says this in Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Do you realize that there may be moments in your life where you're going to have to preach to your soul? Soul? Why are you downcast? Why are you despairing? Why, why are you going through anxiety? Put your hope in God. Because he is our hope. 
And I, I recognize that, that we live in days where there's a lot of stuff being propagated and, and pushed by the culture. And, and if you ever turn on the news, it's, it's really easy to start despairing. If you, if, you, if you read what's happened in the modern church, it's really easy to, to start despairing. When you look at your bank account, it's super easy to despair. And in those moments where you are baited toward anxiety, when you're baited to despair, when you're baited to the downcast gaze of the soul, would you remember that you actually in Christ have the ability to command your soul hope in God? And you can resolutely stand back on the firm ground that is our Savior. Psalm 39 verse 7, I love this passage. And now, Lord, what do I hope in? My expectation is in you. What if that was your life? What if your expectation, your hope, your confidence, your surety was in him? Or as I already read, Hebrews 10.23, can I encourage all of us? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And the reason I can look forward in a future hope is because I am looking back at the faithfulness of my God. He has always been faithful. He has never not been faithful. Which guarantees, because he's a guy who has promised and cannot lie, that he will forever be faithful in the future. You have a strong, confident hope. His name is Jesus. Can we put our hope and faith in him? Can we not look to anything but him? And in the days to come, whatever whatever comes what may, would you stand with a smile, a joyful patience, holding onto that rope, knowing it'll never be cut? Because our hope is in the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are Yahweh Tikva, that you are our hope, that you don't merely give us hope, you are the hope. And Lord, regardless of the circumstances that we are walking through, regardless of the culture, regardless of the church, Lord, I don't know what everyone here is dealing with or what they have to go home and face, but Lord, could we set our gaze, could we fix it squarely upon you and be unshakable and unmovable in the fact that you are our hope. So as the writer of Hebrews says, Lord, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Lord, let us never let go of that rope of hope because we know that you who promised is faithful. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God. And that we, as your people, can be people of great hope. And Lord, I pray that you would get so big in our lives and in, 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 in the demonstration of what you are doing through us that this onlooking world would, would be dumbfounded by, by you in our lives. And that they would be craving hope. And Lord, I pray with great boldness that you would put words in our mouth and that we'd always be ready to give a defense for the hope, you, that lies within us. Lord, we trust you and we love you. And Lord, we do want to just worship you this morning. Because of our hope that is you, Lord, I, I just I don't want to sing songs. I want to, I want to just worship the one who is our hope.
We love you, Jesus. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.